When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Beltalota, the officially unofficial podcast for The Expanse on Amazon Prime. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 6, Episode 3, titled Force Projection. Aaron, what do you think about this halfway mark for Season 6? This is a great halfway mark. Man, what a space battle. Uh-huh. Uh, what a shit Marco is. And Prax with the savior, savior of the solar system? Like maybe, yeah. Just did Amos's best friend in the whole world coming in clutch to save save the belt and Earth. All he's in just one a swoop. good guy, Aaron. He's, he's just, just a, a good, good guy. He's just a good guy. Um, no, I thought I thought everything came together, and this was a great episode. It was like mm-hmm. pulse pounding. The music is great. I was like on the edge of my seat during that battle sequence. Um, yeah, not because I was like particularly afraid that Holden and company were going to die, but it's just kind of like, how are they going to get out? Like this. Marco's right. Like the it's the Rossi's not fucking invincible, man. It's kind of right. you shoot five times the missiles it can shoot down, it's gonna go. Like, how are they gonna do this? And I was kind of delighted by like how they're able to continue to innovate plausibly with the battle mechanics we already know. Yeah. And this is this is Kirk taking advantage of Khan's inexperience with space combat and thinking three dimensionally. Mm-hmm. It's him knowing about the shield codes and Khan not like yeah. it's it's that kind of like experience over naivete and enthusiasm. Um, and I, I I thought it was great. It's one of the I mean, they keep up in the stakes in terms of space battles, not in the way I would think. Like we were talking the preseason about like big involved fleet on fleet set pieces. I'm thinking, man, it, retaking a series is going to be hot. Mm-hmm. It was nothing. <laughs> but this. Nothing, yeah. This was great. What'd you think? Uh, yeah, I agree. I remember them describing this scene in the book, and I thought, man, that sounds cool. It's such an interesting... It, 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 I don't know. I mean, it's like you think, okay, you got targeting computers, and they're going to be so much more efficient, so much better than any human could be. But then y- you kind of have to take control from the machine to get it to do something it's not designed to do, which is anticipate right. the movements of other humans. and. Right. I really liked that. I thought it was cool. And then to see it visually, see the Rossi's flipping around, it, it, just taking it, I, I don't this is the equivalent of a quick draw, right? Like in, it's a in one, Western no, terms, it's a it's, one, we have the perfect terminology for today. This is a 180 no scope headshot that's <laughs> being sure, performed. Yeah, it right? Is. And then like a first person totally. shooter game. Yeah, that's the perfect analogy. And it's just so cool to see because I thought it was cool in the book. To see it on screen with the Rossi flipping and the engines cutting out and then f- kicking back in once they flip again and Bobby taking the the weapons. Yeah, it was so cool. So cool. It also builds on a lot of knowledge, like the book knowledge, for example, like I was reading book five and, uh, you know, when 
uh, Alex and Bobby are fleeing. I think it's the pellets. Well, some of Marco's ships and and uh, they're 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 able to keep pace, but like as an exhaustion tactic, the chasing ships send like streams of PDC fire at them to make them dodge, just mm-hmm. so they can't ever relax. You know, it's not a serious threat, but it's like you know, if Alex were to get up to use the bathroom, you know, you hail a tungsten rounds come ripping through, and you're you're done. So yeah. like the idea that like. Yeah, this shit is not like uh, video game rounds. This stuff just just keeps moving, and you, they're physical objects, and you can trick someone into dodging into it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's just a great concept. And like I was like, I thought the the one eighty no scopes are already pretty fucking rad, just the way they're conceptualized and all that. And then yeah. when Bobby got up, because I was like, what the hell is she doing? And it kind of <laughs> all came together. Is yeah, it's great. It's great. I I love how they keep re one upping themselves in in ways I didn't don't even see coming. It, and that that scene is like a one two uh punch of wow that was really awesome but then what the hell are you doing? Uh cuz it it also features one of the few disagreements I've had with Holden in a very long time. I fundamentally yes. disagree with his decision here at the end of this episode uh to, to disable the, the warhead. I I don't know. I like I think I know what he's thinking, but it to me it doesn't add up. It doesn't justify that action. Yeah, do we want to talk about that now or during the the in place and the because I you're right. That was a, such a moment of awesome and I was so but then it's like, well shit. The season ends right here, boys and girls. Like this is <laughs> this is done. Like this is Tom Cruise blowing up Could Hitler be. in the bunker. Yeah. Uh and and then Holden just didn't do it and I yeah yeah yeah, do you want it to yeah talk about now or later I guess let's talk about it later uh it's a little teaser I guess for what's coming the conversation yeah yeah do that oh man I was pulling my hair out on that one yeah it's uh it's 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 rough it's rough I hope I hope there's something that makes sense uh although I mean I'm not gonna I guess I'm not gonna be mad if Holden just does something stupid to I mean, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, like if if he did this to protect Naomi, th- that's going to be hard to swallow. That's some that's we'll, some, we'll that's talk some about great it. A holding horse shit right there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the episode. But first, a quick break. Here's what's new in premium content for our club members. This Tuesday, we're back off the clock with a new premium podcast covering our experiences with the new Amazon series Fallout, Alex Garland's Civil War, as well as some thoughts on X-Men 97. Then on Friday, The Old Reliable, Lunch with Jim and Aaron. Join us in the Munch Crowd to watch us record live at 1 p.m. Eastern or check out the podcast later that day. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content, plus ad-free feeds. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. 
Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. All right, here we go. Talking Force Projection. On the Laconia Colony, we have the further adventures of Kara, the completely unsupervised child playing on an alien world that's absolutely going to end in heartache, right? Mm. Like, It does, just not in the way you expect, sure. And, and so this is something that you're completely ignorant of as a book reader because you haven't read the short story. But it's starting to round into a particularly horrifying shape. Pet cemetery shape. A dead yes. cat slash brother shape. Except you, you take you take your your dead loved one to a colony of weird blue frogs that have permanent dick sucking face, and <sighs> you leave them there, and they come back. Now, so so, I I had a, I guess I had a, I, I had a question here because the little girl, you know, she runs back, she finds her drone, and it's fixed, but it's fixed with shiny blue kind of protomolecule parts. Uh, and then she sees uh, her, uh, her her sky dragon, whatever the hell these things, sunbirds, whatever they're calling them, and it's it's hopping around, and she's like, "Oh, it's fixed, it's fixed." And they 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 home in with like a menacing, and I wasn't sure if it's it's menacing just because it's something dead that was resurrected, or if there's something uniquely horrifying about the thing's new face. Because I noticed it has like one of those round sur- sucker faces, the way the 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 blue frogs do, and I'm like, is it? Is it like repurposing its DNA? Is it slowly transforming into something? Or I I I, I couldn't quite. F- Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, Do you see anything in there? There's a lot of questions I have. I'm trying to determine if this is something inherent to Laconia, or if this is like an experiment that the humans are doing there. Because there there's a scene right before this where she's in class and um and the teacher says something about like tell us if you see anything strange or anything different about the world here which to me says maybe they're doing some experiments and and they expect things to change there was especially in the last few weeks like what have they got up to in the last few weeks that has kind of reminds me like when holden came to illus right like illus was just a planet yeah you know with some ancient ruins uh miller shows up and then the planet fucking comes alive and starts trying to kill everybody that might be what they're doing are they trying to bring this planet back to life somehow like some facilities well, we know, they found or we know they have active protomolecule mm-hmm. which seems to be the thing that can do it and these this protomolecule sample is it from i'm trying to think of the chain of custody of this god and i just watched this whole fucking season the protomolecule they stole from Fred Johnson's office. Did that come from Eros or did that come from like the original? Uh, that was uh, Naomi's protogen station sample, right? The one she shot out to the one she and hid they, and they recovered. And I think they got that from. So I don't think this 
you know, I because I, I, I'm looking for a way for like Miller maybe to return and, and be <laughs> active in the thing. And I, uh, I don't think that's possible unless the sample came from Eros. And I don't think it did. So that's hmm. that's off the table. But like, yeah. yeah, weird things happening. It seems like they're anticipating it for sure. Yeah. The other thing I was wondering if there is an equal and opposite sort of reaction here, because remember when she fed that bird, uh, that, that thing and it, it died because. Oh, of it? yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well. There seemed to be like a, a a weird yin and yang sort of thing there happening um, to me anyway. Mm. And then it it strikes me as a coincidence that as soon as the other thing comes back to life, her brother is potentially fatally injured. I, I don't know his status, but he looks oh, pretty bad. Oh, shit. Is this some kind of full metal alchemist? The life uh, has to pay for life kind of thing you're suggesting? Or... Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. Huh. That's I don't know if that's, I mean, it, if that's it, it does seem like they're going pet cemetery monkey's paw yeah. kind of, you know, body horror type. And, and again, like, but why, you know, is just to tingle know. our spines or is it to show maybe is there going to be some fatal flaw? And because the other thing about this episode is they they unveiled what I think is a proto molecule enhanced new starship design from Laconia. Yeah, um, that's my guess, too. And I. I wonder if there's some fatal flaw that is going to be demonstrated through Kara's story here. There could we'll be understand. just uh, life finds a way chaos theory sort of thing, right? Like, oh, we fucked with yeah. something we didn't fully understand and yeah, it's coming back to bite us. Because I expect this kid, this Kara's younger brother to be taken to the pet cemetery and resurrected next episode and and kind of distorted and changed right like a little bit like the hybrid uh protomolecule children were yes yes yeah yeah he's gonna have blue face or something yeah yeah so we'll see um anything else to talk about on the laconia um we got a little bit better look at this protomolecule installation the starship um it looked to me like they're building a new ring gate around it like there's oh. a, it looks like a ring gate under construction with spider webs. Like it looks literally like Spider-Man spider webs attaching yeah. it to the main ship or, or maybe that's some kind of protomolecule sta- scaffolding. It's and the ship itself looks like someone dug up a tree root mm-hmm. and painted a gunmetal gray. It's a very weird, twisted, organic shape. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. It looks so different from human spaceship architecture right it tells you yeah. that it's protomolecule and it it implies that like the protomolecule is the thing building this ship not the humans yeah uh which is kind of scary to me oh, yeah. anyway I, I would be scared to be aboard a ship like that but yeah it's wild and, I, and and how do they go from there to like what i think is you're supposed to understand is protomolecule enhanced construction of the ship they're given the belters like what is you know like that's yeah. the the prime construction, like how do you get from that to this, the sleek kind of plain looking, uh, protomolecule cruiser, I guess I'm going to start calling it. Mm. Um, okay. Well, we're done with Laconia for this week. Tune in next week for the ne- next thrilling in- installment of Kara fucks around unsupervised. Did, did on it dangerous alien world? Did it make you feel any better about having this time in a short season spent on that? Oh, I mean, it, it makes me feel like there's something exciting going on. Okay. Like, uh, in much the first way, the first season was all about like this really interesting politics stuff, and then like, what the fuck is this protocol, protomolecule, like monster? Ever? It felt like yeah. the, the the White Walkers in Game of Thrones. Like, does everyone? Oh, they're still there. They're uh, and I, 
turned into like what the expanse was actually about right mm-hmm. and i'm wondering how this is going to tell us what the expanse will be about in books seven through nine if they ever can you know decide to continue the series or bit so but i guess that's but but i still unless it has something to do with here like i said except exposing a fatal flaw like like this is somehow telling us about the weakness the death star's weakness it's thermal mm-hmm. exhaust port that we're going to understand in episode five and six is going to turn to that it it seems weird to spend even interesting and impactful five minutes um, to set up a story that it doesn't seem you're interested in telling uh, with these characters, with this cast, with this crew. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It's still weird. It's still weird. Okay. I agree. Uh, we go to uh, our, the soul system to see the inners strike back. As a joint strike fleet of Earth, Luna, and Mars comes racing in to retake Ceres Station with shockingly little resistance. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is this the whole Avasarala scene as well? Or are we just talking you about that? You can the go. I, I, I broke that out separate, but we can talk okay. about that as well. Uh, yeah, they, they, they paint a picture here um, throughout this whole episode, really, of, of Marco. Hmm. Playing fast and loose with the lives of the Belters, and this kind of where it starts. And I really liked this in the book, and I really like it here. In fact, I like it here a little bit more because when Avasarala sees that Sirius Station has actually been stripped and abandoned, and there's nothing of value there except for its people, um, which are now a burden on on the inners, instead of Marco. Uh, and a, and a, a PR nightmare if if they don't help them out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that she, she then explains to everyone who's watching the show and everyone in the room because they're not as smart as she is exactly what the situation is, exactly why he did it, exactly why this is a problem for them now. Because if they don't help these people, there it, it's just another atrocity committed by the UN. It'll turn more people, more belters against them. Uh, they have to help these people now and it's going to be a huge drain on their resources. I really love that Avasarala is the one explaining this because in the book, Marco explains this to his, his fellow belt leaders um, here. Avasarala explaining it tells you like it. Look, I, I implicitly trust Avasarala's judgment when she says something, I take it as gospel. Uh, when Marco says something, I'm always looking at it with the side of my eye going, is is he lying to me? Is he lying to everyone around him? Is he lying to himself? And yeah. so him explaining it is not as powerful as Avasarala explaining it. So I really like that change. And also, I imagine it coming from the books. You're like, God, what are the Belters thinking when he's saying, oh, yes, we're going to abandon the people because their suffering will be bad for the like, holy hell, that's some. Well, he, he next he level spins revolutionary as, real politics. Oh, yeah. oh, for sure. For sure it is. Um, and it, it makes you respect Marco, um, Marco's tactical leadership a little bit more, his, I think, when he does this. Yeah. But it is a sacrifice, right? This is a trade-off, as, as Philip later points out, or has already pointed out in previous episodes as well. This is a trade. You are trading a tactical advantage um, for morale here. Or the other way around. You're trading the morale of, of your citizens for a tactical advantage. Um, and it better be worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's rough, though, because it seems like this station 
not only was he ignoring like what the future was going to bring, but he always planned um, on like sucking and sucking and taking and taking until he couldn't anymore. And then just abandoning it. Um, and, and I get it. Like it's a little scorched earth, that tactic too, because like not only is Avasarala going to have to either let millions of people die on her watch um, or continue, but like they seem like they needed this. This is like, uh, you know, if the Marines took one of the, the Pacific islands and in, in the invasion of Imperial Japan and like Japan had like literally scraped everything off the island. There was nothing there. There was no, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and it's even a more extreme situation because right. yeah, it's just space where you have to bring in everything, but like, there's nothing there. They were counting on, Hey, there's going to be working repair docks. There's going to be probably food and fuel and munitions. And like, we can use this mm-hmm. as a staging port. Now, not only can you not do that, so you can't further prosecute the war, but you have to stop here and and invest significant resources yeah just like you said and 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 you can you can hear i love how they do the news reports because throughout the episode you'll see like uh you know like an opinion piece show where there's two people debating on the hey we need to help the belters we can't let them starve versus fuck the belters they just killed millions and millions of us and maybe the entire planet we've got fish to like you know that's how these that's and i'm i'm curious because like i've i've lived through a couple of these things where it's like you know, are 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 people going to do the right thing? Are people going to let people like fucking twist in the wind and die? And usually, the latter happens. Um, I'm very curious to mm-hmm. see like what it looks like when a great power does the right the, the right hard thing, and what will that impact be on the people of the belt? Like, will it be appreciated? Will they see Marco as an empty suit? Will they lose faith in him? Uh, at the same time, you've got people like Drummer. Uh, uh, a solidifying control among people who are disaffected and 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 mm-hmm. angry at Marco, and this is before the other shit started to go down. So, it it feels like this is a real turning point, and Marco doesn't even know it. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was going to be my question. Do you think this is long term a smart tactic on Marco's part? Because I think in the short term it is right. Like like he says, there's no way they could have held series against the inners. They, they, their military might is too much, um, especially when you hear the report about how much they've built in the last six months. Uh, the only the only way it works long term, I think, is if this thing coming from the Laconia is a game changer and allows him to fight the inner's fleet at 10 to one odds or something. And he right. has a couple of these things. And it seems like he does. Like, this was not the uh-huh, first th- ship they got. This is like, well, this performs like the other. Oh, did they did they tell us that? Yeah, I think the very last line of this is if this performs like the other, there will be five. I think that's what they said. Oh, but I, I thought didn't he have said subtitles. it will be it will be fun. Like if it performs like the others, <laughs> See, it'll be fun. Maybe I yeah, need subtitles, subtitles to know for sure. So there's between one and five apparently uh-huh. of these things, <laughs> uh, and it, like if that allows them to engage, like I said, a five to one odds that that that. Then, 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 yeah, like the belt will probably be like, well, you know, he took a real gamble with our all of our lives, which is nothing the inners haven't done before, and he won. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he's going to be able to push them back and 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 reclaim. So if that's his strategy, then that's pretty fucking brilliant. Like delay as long as we can, right. to get this new. Like you know, what if the Nazis involved had had invented nukes and jet planes? You know, two years before the end of the war, like probably all be speaking german right like yeah. is, is is marco going to be pull be being a pull off a coup like that but it feels like yeah but that's the thing the balance of power just changed again at the end of this episode or at least 
the show is telling me that. So yeah. Um, I did like how they use the uh, number one. I like seeing my favorite Martian captain, uh, 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 Captain Carino, back in action. You might recall her as being the Martian captain that single-handedly kept Earth and Mars out of a war when during the South or Wind Mutiny Crisis. You know, she's like, "Don't fucking engage. Just stand back and and." uh, So I I like her and. um she she's back at it and also i liked how like we see the the martians use their armored marines like they're not like in force they're essentially like used like tanks that they kind of like go in as a spearhead and then a bunch of lightly armored troops follow them the kind of, it i i just like the other thing i i noticed is like is it just me or are these marines not don't move as well as their armor as bobby does and and uh, is that intentional? Mm. Because I felt like these guys are pretty stompy and clunky and loose. Um, is that to contrast like your regular armored marine versus Bobby, who is like our hero? Marine? Could be. Yeah, I didn't really notice it. Um, I was noticing well, I'm just the like, interrogation over Zoom, which I assume is just how the U.S. government conducts interrogations now. It's just a Zoom call <laughs> into the the holding cell to, to the black cells. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, so let's get to that. The Avasarala remotely interrogates the flinty sta- station chief who we last saw trying to bring Filipinaros to justice. Um, it's interesting. Her prescription to Avasarala is take your people and leave because Sirius has nothing. Why would she tell them that? Because that dooms everyone to three weeks of a slow death. Well, I think she's just pulling the military personnel off there. And then I, I th- they're they're sending everybody... They're sending like the people who can coordinate the logistics, right? Of getting food there and stuff to help. I I don't know. No, that was my assumption. I don't think she's abandoning the people in series. Who? Osarala? No, I'm saying the station chief told her you need you, if you want my advice, get your people and get out of here. Oh, okay. Uh, and I'm like, that seems kind of fatalistic because if Avasarala listens to her, then they all die. Yeah, she's a military commander. She doesn't see the value of the resource, I guess, at this point. Uh, I'm not sure. They're they're, they're clearly making someone in this room look stupid so that Avasarla can look smart, but Mm. she always looks smart. They also, I thought it was an interesting line, Avasarala being hesitant to turn the belters over to the the Martians for interrogation. And because like, the first time you meet Avasarala, she's interrogating a, a belter at the end of Gravity Hooks. It's mm-hmm. a pretty cruel and unusual form of torture for a belter to kill them just by exposure to Earth's gravity. Uh, it's, it's, it's like force projection. I was looking for types of projection in this episode. and I think that was one because I think Avasarala is mm-hmm. worried that Mars would do what they would. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I buy Mars would never torture people, especially when uh, Bobby seemed to be very enthusiastic about getting to crew the Rasananti and extraordinarily mm-hmm. rendering them off to a Martian base. And yeah, it's like, yeah. I, you don't need to because you've got the vitamin E supplements that you take. That's mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah, maybe serum, uh, truth detector maybe. drug. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Let's move on to the Rasananti, which is burning hard towards Ceres, presumably to join with the fleet. Holden promotes Peaches to backup pilot, and they have a heart-to-heart about regret. It's wild to me. Holden makes a couple of decisions here that I wouldn't necessarily make in this episode. One is to spare Marco's life. Two is to leave 
Claire in charge of the Rocinante when she's clearly under the influence. Uh, you're going to let her DUI the Rossi? That's not smart, man. Like, I yeah. know she seems clear-eyed and stuff, but she can barely walk. Yeah, pretty, but but he is too. Like you know, you've got uh, you've got Fair. someone coming down Fair. off of the an epic Molly roll versus a guy mm-hmm. who's not slept for four days apparently. So yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like like Holden once your switch flips to full crew member. We've seen this with Prax. We've seen yeah. it with uh, you know, honestly going back to Amos. Like once once he considers you crew, then that's that's it. You know, like you said, mm-hmm. um, last last episode. Um, what do you think about? Because this is something I honestly struggle with. Um, like there's people with regrets on this ship, and then there's people with regrets on this ship. But I've always thought it's interesting that like the show kind of chalks up Naomi killing 500 people with her, you know, um, reactor bomb to as a youthful indiscretion, which fine mm-hmm. i don't think she knew like i like the way she explained it like this was a shakedown kind of like a way to generate money and it was never intended to like kill people but and she trusted marco not to do that yeah but there's some responsibility culpability there mm-hmm. um like what the things that amos uh and and holden regret and alex regrets is fundamentally different from like naomi and especially peaches yeah uh and then it's interesting, like, what what do you do with society with these people? Like, everything I've read in sociology says that, like, super long prison sentences, like, sending people to prison for 50 years for murdering someone doesn't do anything about uh, keeping people from murdering people, doesn't do anything about the re- recidivism rate. It's just purely punitive. Hmm. But on the other hand, it feels wrong to let someone that blew up a ship, murdered a person in cold blood, et cetera, et cetera, just go because she feels bad about it later. Yeah. Like, what do you think about that? Uh, I don't know, man. Um, it, it, it feels also equally as wrong to make someone who has clearly changed pay for the sins of a, of an effectively different person forever. There's that too. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I think an argument can be made either way. And I think it depends on who you are and how this thing affected you. If you're James Holden, you could probably make a pretty uh, vociferous argument about why she should still be uh, punished. But also, you know, she, she does seem thoroughly changed. I think like Amos's time with her, Amos's um, like evaluation of her makes me feel a lot better about her. And I think the same is true of Holden, right? Like, okay, well, if Amos thinks she's cool, I guess I think she's cool. Um, I think you're onto something there too. His unique position of being able to condemn her is also him being in a unique position to kind of like, you know, forgive her because he Mm -hmm. was her primary target. For sure. Yeah. Uh, She can get something out of that. But I think it's interesting to see how they're dealing. And I, and I wonder what it says about guys like Marco and Philip. Like, you know, Marco probably needs to die. I don't know what kind of in any kind of just society. I mean, if you want to make him a prisoner for life as an object lesson in mercy or whatever, like a Rick Grimes kind of deal. Fine. But what do you do with a guy like Philip, who's been brainwashed since he was literally a baby into this? And yeah. he's only like, what, 16, 17, maybe 18. Like, does he get does he get the sunken through the pit treatment? Um, what is justice? 
It'll be interesting to see sure. if the show has any answers along those lines, or if they're going to take the easy way out of Marco and Philip just dying. The other thing about this scene that I thought was almost funny is like the way that Claire is telling Holden like about her mods is like, well, I used my mods before and I ripped a man apart with my bare hands. I tore him to shreds. There was nothing he could do. He couldn't stop me with a bulldozer. She's I feel like she's essentially saying to him, like, I could still kill you at any moment. Like I could just swipe my tongue across the roof of my mouth and you're dead. And there's nothing you could do to stop me. And I'm, I haven't done that. Right. There's, there's like a, there's almost like an implied threat that shows that she's not a threat here. It's very strange to me, at least how I read it. Yeah. I could kill you. And I, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's one of the most convincing things you can ever say as like a, as an antagonist turned ally is like, look, if I wanted you dead, you'd be dead already. Like how many times have we seen like right. a sit down begin with that? Like, you know, For relax sure. if you want. So I, but, but you're, you might be, I think you're onto something there. Yeah. I, like, maybe, hey, maybe you can trust me because all I have to do is like, you know, it's, work a corn kernel out from underneath my, between my teeth and I can kill you. Uh huh. But, well, but I was thinking also, about like how would you accidentally like if you got peanut but you ate a peanut butter sandwich <laughs> or from peanut butter on top of that or like you know got a corn or like you know uh, uh-huh. uh, a tortilla chip stuck in your teeth like and then suddenly ah and you're killing people like <laughs> it seems suboptimal. Yeah, do you have to kill people when you're on the drug or can you just like really go <laughs> like, after that just, tortilla chip? You just endure the mother of all fight or flight responses and for five seconds and you'll be fine. Right. <laughs> and it feels like it feels like 50, but you'll be fine. Yeah, just just breathe, count to 10, you know, <laughs> meditate. It, does it still work if you burn the roof of your mouth with a super hot pizza? Ah, yeah, it's like it's uh, if, yeah, hot cocoa or pizza will disable the system for up to that's what she needs. She needs hot pizza therapy. Yeah. The scalding hot mozzarella once a day, and and, and uh, it's better than any any UN prison <laughs> suppressor. That's for sure. It's true. Uh, let's move on to Amos and Bobby in the galley, uh, doing what soldiers from time immemorial have done: complain about the food that they're forced to eat on true. the march. Boy, do they complain! Their bodies complain for them. God, Bobby's reaction to that food was intense. It seems pretty nasty. Now, <laughs> yeah. I know that space food, even under its best circumstances, is not great. And it feels like this is another kind of subtle mourning of Alex because he was yeah. the ship's cook. You know, uh, he, he, he always was was there with real cheese and, and real love uh, making his cowboy lasagna and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Um, they also swap intel about series station. Um Question, was this cute or cringe? Which part? Sorry, I'm just, not remembering just, uh, this. You well. know, like, I, I noticed that uh, they've got the they got a uh, a flirtation with um Bobby and Amos, it seems. Um yeah. like a, an uptick of the sweet cheeks and baby cakes and the bubble butts and all the other things she's calling them. And just uh I don't know, this like it's it's a weird kind of I like both these characters. These are probably two of my favorite characters on the show. Amos, certainly Bobby, I think is the second, but I'm, I don't know. I was kind of like left a little cold by the, 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 the crew bonding dialogue that they were doing. I was, and I was surprised by that. I, I mostly liked it. I, I thought I had this impulse at the end of the scene to be like, I, Oh, they're, they're flirting. Like they, they might, there's a chance they might hook up, but then, yeah, I, I just realized that like Bobby, 
you know, Bobby had the same energy with Alex. Bobby has this energy with a lot of people that she gets close to. I think this is a friendship thing more than anything. This is them bonding. Just bonding as a a crew member, like crew member to crew member. Um, If she is going to come on board here, this is how they're going to treat each other. It's not a flirtatious thing. It's not a romantic thing. It's just them being, you know, friendly with each other. Yeah. Um, I did like uh, them talking about like, you know, because they bring up the can, you know, everything is like on the last season. They're bringing up for season one stuff, earlier seasons stuff, lots of nostalgia in, in this episode. And talking about the can and how they talked about, haven't thought about that and the Doniger and how Mars felt about that and how she was wanting to, to, to drag him off to Hecate or Hecate base. Uh, which I think is named after Hecate Tholus, a Martian volcano um, oh, okay. that that busted up on the news like uh, eight, nine years ago when the EU's uh, satellite discovered some interesting things about its mud driven volcanic uh, geology. So it's been in the news lately. Hmm. Um, but I thought that was funny. You know, like Amos, like I wouldn't have gone quietly. And she's like, oh, that could have been fun, too. Uh-huh. It's just I don't know. It's something about the bars and the brothels and the noodles. And that 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 felt a little silly to me. OK. Um, Naomi and Holden then talk about her freeze up during the taking of the Azure Dragon. Then Holden gives her some homework to take her mind off her problems. Mm-hmm. Naomi looks so small in this scene. There, there's the shot where Holden's in the foreground and the forced perspective on it just makes her look tiny. Yeah. I think that's intentional. I do like and 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 mainlining this season the 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 whole series in the last month or so. Like one thing I respect about the show is that they are not afraid to make their heroes look vulnerable and tired and beat up. Like I I mm-hmm. feel like half of the episodes Holden has spent in some kind of like black eye makeup or nose broken makeup or yeah. And the, Naomi looked like she got drugged through down ten miles of dirt road last season, and you can tell like this is all kind of wearing on her and that's why i'm a little nervous about this 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 disabled warhead like the a lot of this episode is setting up like holden thinking that naomi's fragile and my god what other what else can she bear under her trauma and that's you know looking into her son's eyes over view script screen as he's vaporized that's a bridge too far christ holden i don't know we're gonna have to have a talk about this in future episodes <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't um, know. The, the show has handled Naomi as a character better than the book handled Naomi. Uh, made her stronger, made her more of a, uh, I don't know, a person with agency. Um, yeah, less of a victim. And I think I trust them at this point to to handle this pretty well. But we'll see. Like I think you know, if Holden is doing that, if he is like, oh, Naomi can't handle this. Uh, I need to protect her. Naomi will probably come out next episode and say, fuck you. I don't need your protection. Like, I just I need your, exactly I right. just need someone to talk to. I just need your understanding. Like something like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And, and probably tell him, Hey, you should have taken that shot. You idiot. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I like that. They talked through that hesitation. It made perfect sense. We'd already surmised it. Like, you know, like they did a great job. Visual yeah. storytelling of like that moment was her jumping out and that, I, I think that's also something that people don't realize is like uh, the first time you do something is something crazy and heroic and is is sometimes the easiest thing. Like the first time you storm a beach when you're like a Marine in the Pacific might be easier than the second time because the first time it's like, fuck it. I don't know. Shit. I'm just going to run. 
second time you know exactly how hard and how bad it can suck so like you know naomi doing yeah. two of those in a row and then potentially like it being triggered has made perfect sense and I, th- I thought they did a great job of visualizing that mm-hmm. um and then yeah uh, uh, holden uh correctly diagnoses that the perfect solution to naomi's problem is to give her a tough tough uh, theoretical problem to solve so he gives her all the martian data on the disappearing ships and says hey Find find something in the stack of uh, find a needle in this haystack. Mm-hmm. On board the Pella, Marco shrugs off some bad news about the inner fleets closing in on them. Then Philip takes issues with his father's strategy of abandoning the Belters. Yeah, I would say things are starting to the cr- cracks in Marco's plans are starting to show. You know, last episode uh, we had the I think it was the final scene where Marco's like saying oh yeah this was the plan all along he's saying it as much again here even in the face of worse news which is the inners are rebuilding their fleet faster than we thought um yep. they're they they've got two new donager class and three new large-scale un ships which is th- that's a ton right i mean like yeah until until we see the very end of this episode it seems pretty bleak for the free navy right yeah um because that's just like and that's i don't think that's some total that's just like the biggest warships they've got like there's countless uh supply and picket ships and frigates and and cruisers to kind of go with that like it's like saying you have five aircraft carriers five aircraft carriers (laughs) are steaming into your bays then you're gonna have fucking you know 15 cruisers and 30 frigates and probably six or a half dozen submarines and all the stuff that goes with it so it's uh like you said it's pretty bad uh you know i i like the ship names in this show and uh the pella of course we knew this last season that's the uh capital city of mar uh, of marco's idol alexander the great an mm. ancient eat granicus is a reference to the battle battle of granicus uh was the first of the three major battles that uh, alexander won against the persian empire back in the of course uh, fourth century bc and the one that i don't know about is Laber. Um, I have a guess that it might cause like I, I know that Dan and Ty occasionally give homage to their literary inspirations and or people that are important in education. And I found that there's a Patricia Lobner who's a who was a Newbery Award uh, winning author of children's science books, both fiction and nonfiction, who died hmm. in 2010. Okay, if anyone that has a better idea of what Lobner could be a reference to, uh, let me know. But uh, that's that's what I dug up about those ships. Uh, but yeah. They, uh, I, I, I thought this, this is, um, the books, I thought the book five did a great job. And we talked about this, the last episode about how Marco has a strategy for, uh, having 10 balls up in the air and if nine of them fall and one of them succeeds, then, ah, that is the, the nine were just a cloak for the one success, which was the only important one. Yeah, is and is the only one that was ever important. And I, I just uh, recently saw this because I just concluded uh, season five. But like you know, when the first three things hit, and then the fourth, they reconfigured the watchtowers to take it out. You can tell on Marco's face he didn't like that. But then he's like, "Oh, right, it just to have one work was a mi- three is a triumph. It's more than I ever dreamed." Like he's this constant as bullshit factory, and you can see him trying to spin it up. And it's just like among mm-hmm. his inner advisors, it's starting to wear thin. Like. Well, great, boss. I'm glad you're not worried, but why aren't you worried? I'm just not worried. And um, yeah, I don't know. 
Uh, it's and then, it's a crazy dashing pirate scheme to just try to stay one step ahead of your advers- adversary until something you can't plan or rely on falls in your lap and saves you. Like the Martians developing protomolecule Lacotian technology, you know, it's crazy. Sure. Yeah. Um, at least I, I think that's what's happening. I, I also see, you know, like Philip storming in here and saying, hey, this is a huge mistake. You've you've he thinks not only made a tactical error by reducing the morale of the belters, but also he made a promise to these people, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's not just about the war. It's also about the people that you're trying to fight this war for. And if, if you win the war and lose all the people, you haven't won anything, but right. I don't know. It's Marco is definitely suffering from a, from no true belter syndrome right when he takes philip aside and he's like you you and me we're you know we're not like those other belters those other belters are weak those other belters are you know uh practically inners right he's like he's all well wallows yeah mm-hmm. yeah he's making some artificial distinction here between a particular type of belter and themselves and and it, to the point where it's the name, it's the name. There are only two true belters. It's Philip and Marco. And I get the impression that if Philip crosses him too many times, it's just Marco. Like the yeah. name becomes not Inaros, the name becomes Marco. And he is the yeah. only true belter. And that's and that's what they chant. They chant Marco. <laughs> right. Inar- yeah. Yeah. And you can see it, man. I can see it. I, I mean, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah it's, it's so blatant. It's so obvious. But also I feel like the people around him aren't seeing it the way he is but but he's also blind right like i think he's totally blind to what's going on in philip's head he thinks sitting him down and having a talk with him can can cause philip to fire the missiles to kill his mother and i guess it i guess it works but but it's working a little less like uh, the hypocrisies are piling up the special like you know this goes hand in hand with uh his father springing him out of jail, you know, uh-huh. like rules for thee, not for me. And Philip's going to find out that like one of these days he's going to be outside of that, you know, me, the category, maybe sometime really soon. <laughs> if he keeps and it's coming because, on the like, bridge and saying your plan is bullshit. Yeah. Sooner. Yeah, I wonder how later. they, I wondered if this is the last time that, that we're going to see, cause we've seen it so many times in last season, this, this, the, the slap and soothe strategy, like slap you in the face with an a, attack on your manhood, your belterness, your, your, uh, you know, ver- your, your, uh, your bravery. And then be like, but you know, we're an Aros. We're, we're meant mm-hmm. to live for better things. These are all like, you know, tearing them down, building them up, tear. This might be the last time he kind of sort of successfully gets him back into his his under his spell, because I don't know, it might be broken forever. Yeah, there's not that many episodes left. So. Uh, Before we move on, let's take a quick break. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe! Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. 
we try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. But some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them, or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. And we're back as we witness Drummer beginning to consolidate her power amongst the disaffected Belter factions as she uses her golden bow contact she received from Walker last episode uh, to bring a few more ships into her fleet. We also see or begin to see Avasrala's empathy bomb that she's constructed with Monica uh, take effect amongst the belters in the form of drummer's crew. what do you think of the scene? Uh, yeah, the empathy bomb in the form of Anna Volavadov. Uh, I, I like seeing her again. I think uh, there Another is nostalgic episode, man. Yeah. There are a couple of, they're not cameos, but there are a couple of like characters who come back in this episode that, I thought it was really good. Uh, just good people. Just good folks. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it takes, like Bobby says. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Michio seems to... It's not that just that she's not got the aptitude for what she's doing. It's that her heart isn't in it, right? I mean, the, the war they're fighting, I, I feel like she really just doesn't want there to be a war. And so she's just not... She's not getting on board with what it takes to fight the war. Um, I just liked it. Like, it's a great the 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 argument between the crew is just a great microcosm of the argument yeah. of like, well, now they know what 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 feels like to be us. But what does it feel like to be us? Does it feel good? Do you feel like you want to stop fighting, or do you want to fight even harder? Like, mm-hmm. um, this is this Michio 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 Pa Pa is <laughs> the one that's having this yeah. argument. Michio, yeah, the macho. Ma- ma- I don't know why I ever gave up Macho Peru. Just right. macho, macho, Macho Peru engaged in a, a philosophical battle with this guy, mm-hmm. uh, and I like it. And it shows also the kind of propaganda genius of uh, Avasarala that uh, you don't need much to keep this squabbling faction from disintegrating against itself. And you know, it's uh, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, 
They mentioned that the this uh, ship that's joining them, the Galt and the Saberhagen, the Galt has uh, shotgun PDCs, which I thought was cool. I've never heard them referred to as this, but I noticed when I was watching season five, the very first Belter pirate that the uh, drummer takes down through three ships defends itself with one of these. And it's like, instead hmm. of the, you know, Rossi style PDCs that have like the constantly tracking stream of tracer fire, this just shoots at clouds of like, like it says, looks like pellets that try to uh, intercept the missile. Um, like a flak and, cannon. And, and, and that, yeah, like a flak, it felt like a flak cannon. So I thought that's cool that there's like more than one way to skin a, an anti-missile system in this universe. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and the line, you know, this is this is so Lando, man. Like, yeah, do you trust him? Uh, do you trust him completely? Eh, trust him enough. Like, <laughs> this uh-huh. this is, mm, mm, I, I, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing uh, that the drummer's getting this quote-unquote support. Uh, yeah, I can't tell if this is, if this is just Belter stuff and no one ever really trusts anyone in the belt or if this is something that's setting up a betrayal later. Like this could just be world building, right? I mean, that's the problem with being an insurgency. It's like how who do you trust? There's such a huge reward for turning on that, and you're usually fighting yeah. a vastly more powerful, wealthy foe. So like, there's always a source of corruption, um, and it's hard and it sucks to be in it. So like, she's a double insurgent. Mm-hmm. You know, she has no home in the belt. She has no home on Mars or Earth. Uh, so you have to trust people. But damn, this guy seems slippery as fuck. <laughs> And some of this stuff is, seems too good to be true. Tin caches and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, what's that going to do? Although, I have Marco's already got five of these protomolecule ships. Damn. How many caches does he need? Yeah. Um, and also, like, they're, like I also like that uh, it's, it's nice because we already know everything that they're finding out about these caches. And, like, why is he hiding these supplies? Well, we know. Like, but it lets, it lets the, us know that these are smart people because they're making correct surmisals. And sometimes it's fun yeah. to see them make reasonable surmisals that, that are incorrect, because we've seen that in previous episodes where Earth was thinking it was Mars and Mars was thinking it was Earth, and it was actually mm-hmm. some shadowy cabal government that was playing them both for suckers. Like I, I love how the, sh- the show does that. It gives us all the information, and we just see the smart people and the dumb people kind of processing through it. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you want to hear some uh, some speculation about these ship names? Oh yeah, for sure. So Saberhagen, this is a, almost a sure thing. I did some, and, and the first one I heard, I'm like, I wonder if this is a reference to Fred Saberhagen, one of my favorite sci-fi authors, uh, author of the Berserk and Book of Sword series. Uh, it turns out I found an interview with Daniel Abraham where he cred like uh, this this high school mentorship program that he joined in New, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Apparently, Fred Saberhagen did uh, like work with with teenage authors and they became close friends. And he credits Fred Saberhagen as one of his his uh, closest mentors. Um, Yeah, he says there was this high school mentorship program where if there's something you want to do with your life, you could go have a professional disabuse you of the notion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Abraham recalls with a raised brow. I got an apprenticeship at the local radio station. and It was terrible. My second choice was writing and Fred became my mentor. I was mostly doing sci-fi and fantasy by then. I'd go to Fred's house on Saturdays and show him what I was working on. So I thought that was a pretty obvious reference. And Galt, I'm guessing, is a reference to John Galt, the famous Anne, uh, Ayn Rand hero, the uh, Atlas Shrug hero. And I feel like Belters would be prone to libertarianism of one stripe or another. <laughs> sure, I can imagine, yeah. 
Yeah, I can I can see a bunch of angry belters reading read an Atlas Shrugged and thinking, you know, uh, that that seems seems like religion to me. Is is that book worth reading? I've never read that book, dude. I, I don't know. I know it's controversial. I, I ran I ran to some people that were really into it in high school, and I since think all those people are pretty fucking cringe. So probably not. But uh, you know, yeah, I mean, almost, it's different. It's never bad idea to read school, a book, right? Right, like when you're sure cer- when you're forming opinions about the world and politics. Yeah, and, lots of ill thought out revolutionary ide- ideology sound good when you're in high school, right? But, uh, right. Anyway, it's also a very big was, book. So fuck that. <laughs> it is. I think it's. It's also. It's like a two parters and Fountainhead yeah. got golfed in it too. Or did she just write two identical books with different heroes? Maybe. Avasarala gets debriefed on the pacification of Sirius Station and wishes Monica good luck on her next report, which apparently will chronicle the Inner's relief efforts on Sirius Station. Yeah, my next piece will be better. I was trying to determine what what exactly that's going to be, but. She she says it here or no, I she does say it here and I took it as like, all right, old lady, you've been using me for propaganda. This next piece is going to really cork off, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it probably piss her off. Um, but then is she is she killed in this episode or I don't does know. she wander we, off and is thereby saved? I think it's going to be be the latter i think they're setting her up to have another free radio uh uh, behemoth situation where she's going to be tell you know like in in some kind of belt or cell doing web you know webcam interviews and stuff uh from siri station um to kind of like generate sympathy all around because it seems like the start was we need the belters to sympathize with us but now it's like we also need the earth to sympathize enough for the belt us to avoid this humanitarian disaster and not have yeah. like how the hell are you saving millions of them when there's billions of us dying? How how do you keep that political situation from blowing up in their face? And yeah, I, I don't know. It could be that Monica kind of freelances on this in a way that Avisral wouldn't be comfortable with. It might be what they need. It could be. But, um, um, yeah, I think if if her intention was to like uh, use her influence and in her reporting to kind of stick it to the old lady. I think that might have changed after this event, after the the sabotage. This fleet admiral that's debriefing Avasarala is gigantic. Yeah, he's like he's like a Panamax cargo ship. He can just barely fit through these bulkheads. There's like, do you know when he goes through? There's like, like his the, the hairs on his head. He's shaved <laughs> he so, so he hairs, can fit yeah. underneath them. Like uh-huh. if he had hair, he would just he get stuck. Yeah, I, I can't like. They must have built this class of ship with his his is like, OK, this is the largest crew member that can fit. Make him the admiral. He's the yardstick. Oh, I, I, I thought it was hilarious. He's just like barely clearing this stuff, standing up straight. Nice. Um, in deep space. Guess what? Pella happens to come upon the Rasanandi all alone and Philip with his yeah. wolf pack. Uh, yeah, dude, I, I was getting excited at this point in the episode because I'm like, all right. We're we're about to see some good shit here. I, I was hoping they would get it to it this episode, um, and they definitely did. But I, I was I, I was questioning Marco's decision here to put Philip at the the con at the, at the weapons station. Um, yeah. After this talk, I I think Marco has a pretty high estimation of of the power, the persuasive power of his conversations with his son at this point. 
but it works. It works enough, right? He does fire those missiles. It's not his fault that the PDC mm-hmm. rounds are able to take them down. I just, I just couldn't help but think Marco is being a little naive here. And I think everyone, like, uh, is it Rosenfeld, his uh, uh-huh. second in command? Uh, she warns him about diverting and taking your mind off the larger picture. Um, but you know, all you can see is the massive advantage, and this is an opportunity. You know, this is a uh, and, and even wrong. if you win, I mean, it's, it's a morale it's a blow pure to propaganda. the UN, right? I mean, he's not wrong. This would be a huge propaganda win, just like Avasarala correctly predicted last year that, you know, them working, you know, this, the Rasananti being out there active in the belt, a, a shining example of Mars, Earth, and the belt working together, um, doing good things, um, taking that down. But it's, man, it's, it's such a slight win and it's, it's so personal to him at this point. I, it seems, it seems foolhardy yeah. to everyone but Marco. Oh, definitely. There, there is an element of like Ahab's white whale. Uh, oh, stuff he goes here. in full. He's about to go full on Ahab. Yeah, uh, uh, that's there. Also, I was detecting a little bit of uh, Luke being enticed to the dark side and asked to mm. kill his father. Like, if Marco can f- can get Philip, talk Philip into killing his mother in this situation, he's got full control over this kid, right? Like. That cements the 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 control that he has over his son. He can get him to kill hundreds of millions of Earthers. He can also get him to kill his own mother. Like what? And that's it. You know, he has full control. Yeah. He's he's yeah, fully a puppet at that point. Yeah. yeah, might be even a perverse way to test his control. And that's why he it, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, ostensibly to show how much trust he has in his son, but also it's a test of loyalty, right? Uh, and, uh, this, this, the next scene is set up by Amos getting a surprise message from his best friend in the whole world. I was mm-hmm. so glad to see Prax again, as soon as his sh- face showed up and he went into his science speech, like it, it just felt, <laughs> yeah, it felt get good. around to it. Give him a second. Yeah. Uh, yeah. G- it, good dialogue here. Good stuff. Uh, I was a little surprised that I look, I don't know what the state of like, uh, viruses and phishing schemes is in the 23rd century or whenever this happens. But Amos just gets some message from somebody that he doesn't know, throws it right up onto the ship's computers and gets them decrypting that file. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, man? You just got fished. You know, all your uh, credit card information is now on the internet. People are buying. I don't know what they buy. They, they buy, I don't know, subscriptions to porn sites with your credit cards. Whatever it is, essentially opened up uh, hot hot un politicians.exe and <laughs> right. threw it on the Rossi's computer. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. It, it it was uh, wild. It was wild that he just threw this up there. But I don't know. There's probably some future tech that's keeping him safe. No data hygiene whatsoever. Hmm. Um. But yeah, then but yeah, I, shows up with a, a message. Yeah, and this is the thing. Like, um. Earth might be fucked, but also might be able to save with their own ingenuity. Like if they've got this uh, this um, yeast that can grow massive. So this is I I I'm like Amos. I I didn't follow all of the techno babble here. Um, but what I got is they've they've genetically engineered some yeast and combined it with research from the they gained from the proto molecules like growth factors and stuff, and they've got this organism that can generate a massive amount of food. 
on nothing but carbon dioxide and waste heat, which mm-hmm. the expanse universe has tons of. Like that's one of the big problems yeah. in the books is how you know these these ships generate massive amounts of power, massive amounts of heat, and space is a vacuum, which is an excellent. If you've got a Yeti cup, you know that's an excellent insulator. Um, so like this and is just gotta, like just carbon bunch, dioxide. Yeah, a bunch that, of people that's, breathing that's, out CO two. Yeah, yeah. Like if you water with piss, it's the perfect thing. Like it's it's it, it, it's great. Um. And he's risking his life. And that's the thing. It's like, I, I, it always left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. How Prax was like dropped at like a hot potato and like, oh, he's back with his daughter and he's happy now. Mm-hmm. But it's nice that he's got this family and all that stuff. And as Amos points out, he's got this great life and he's risking it all. Like someone else just got murdered for doing what he's trying to do right now. And he's doing it for nothing other than to help out people he doesn't know. Yeah. And uh, like, uh, and he's just a good guy. And, and, and like Bobby says, sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, I do wonder uh, how much of this is like the research that he's working on is sort of at his own under his no, own uh, at his own impetus. I don't, I don't know how to say that, but like it is what he's doing sort of at gunpoint for the free Navy uh, with this research. Or is this something that he would be doing anyway and he sees as a, a righteous cause and is doing it sort of on the side just just like oh this is the thing i'm doing and if it helps anybody it's great i think there was um there's a throwaway line about them doing research in the belt for like marco not being worried about um the food production you know like uh, what if we don't have live soils and what the hell are we going to do he was never and i i was thinking that that was going to lead to some kind of pseudo-scientific like marco just being kind of lazy and, and curious as a leader but it seems like maybe they had this breakthrough they've been working on and it's and, and this person was killed not because they developed it, but because they were going to share it with Earth. Um, so, like, gotcha. I think it's something that and I, I don't know that Prax would have a problem with developing high yield food because mm-hmm. Ganymede fucked because of the inner's war. He probably mm-hmm. has no love for the free Navy, but like belters need to eat. Right. I mean, that's probably and, what he was working on all along. It's just he didn't have proto molecule tech to really. Right. Like, that. I guess, yeah, broadly speaking, everybody in the belt working to grow food is yeah. right, trying to grow more with less. That's right. So you, you're right. Did. This is probably belter ingenuity over generations. And now you inject some some proto molecule in it. And it also says something about like the belters, I think, too, that like the belters experiment. This is, is, is yielding tons of food. You know, the more you share, the more your belt will be plentiful or the more your bowl will be plentiful versus the inners who are using it as some kind of weapon and then even but but then there's also some kind of curse of like marco trying to subvert that generosity you know like he's he's going against the Mm -hmm. belter proverb um yeah i mean he wants them to to starve for sure that does seem like a uh yeah it's transgressive um and then there's the there's the the show uh comments on amos uh calling avasarala chrissy Mm mm-hmm and she goes, she loves when you call her that. And he goes, at least I say it to her face. And they have a good chuckle about that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Avis Rawls, newly single. Maybe after <laughs> war, ready to mingle. I don't know what books seven through nine are about. Maybe it's a torrid Amos Avis love affair. Could be. Uh, Naomi develops some theories about the ring gate disappearance before Peaches interrupts to inform them they're suddenly being hunted by Marcos and his wolf pack. What what are the theories? I feel like this scene told me nothing. This scene says she found a pattern and that's it. 
Well, that's a I mean, that's a first start, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Before you can come a theory, you have to notice a pattern in it. And I like how like this is the holograph. This looked like the holographic version of Charlie's crazy yarn board, you know, theory like <laughs> thing, like because it's there got red lines rings. all yeah. connecting. And there's like all this like, look, at, but like it, but she says, is, I don't have the research uh, or skill set to fully explain it. And he says, I might. Who is he talking about? I'm trying to think of people that we've gone through in this series. I was too. Like Cortazar is the only one I could think. But he's through but the gate working for someone else. Conia, and like, right. there's like, like, why would he think that he has? I'm trying to think uh, if there's been anybody like a belter mechanic that didn't turn traitor. Um, Miller. Is he gonna? If he can, is there any way to uh, contact Miller? If they, if he does, I'm just saying, like, I don't like because to my understanding, only proto molecule that came from the whole situation uh, involved. Although no, because the proto Miller communicated to him through the proto proto molecule that's left by the Belter child that got mutated and then got rampage on his ship. I don't think that had anything to do with Eros, or maybe oh, it did. Oh, no, they it's did. Mal. They, they, it's Mao. Mao. Yeah, it's Jules Pierre Mao. He's in jail, right? That's true. He's the only guy who's had who Holden could have access to, especially because his daughter's on their ship right now. Are He's the book, only guy you could have access to. If you're, if you're book reading shit, I'm gonna. This is this is gonna end this. Joke. If I that's am, like I apologize. I totally don't remember this in the okay. book. If it's in there, but yeah, that's my guess. That's a good pull, and it would tie into the faces from the past kind of coming back to play their parts and make make you know like they, they've been doing that a lot like you know we've seen anna show yeah. up we've seen prax you know, all and yeah. and and prax we've seen, oh, good people I, I wonder if the bad people show up um and he got name checked this episode too like peaches hey remember my father that real asshole and i did everything for him and i thought he was a hero and right there's a lot to that theory i don't but yeah, i that's my i guess. don't I don't that'd be like asking like, you know, Bill Gates about some obscure piece of Windows server architecture in 2021 or Steve like, Ballmer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, would he like either of those people even fucking know? Right. Uh, yeah. No, they're, it's, they're, that's they're, fair. They've been retired or away for a while. And and uh, but I, I think he's got that's, some that's files the, hanging around somewhere that they could get or some into. contacts or some mm-hmm. people like he paid. the. T- yeah, I. I that that is an interesting idea. I wonder where they got him holed up at. Like, is he on some kind of lunar penal colony, or is he on Earth <sighs> in one of those holes? That's or? a good question. Yeah, how close was he to some of these impact sites? Is he even alive right. anymore? Who knows? Right. Uh, we go back to Sirius Station to see you and Marines handing out relief supplies for better or worse, and Monica scrounging for some Belter on the street interviews when all hell breaks loose. Yeah, I did not see this coming. Nope. Uh, jaw dropped open when it when it went on. Um, but 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 I like the scene. What do you think? Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, there there would be resistance, right? I think this makes uh perfect sense. Although, is it, it resistance seems like cutting off this... your nose to spite your face? But okay, uh, wouldn't be the wor- the first or last time shit like this happened, where you build up so much antipathy that you know, like people'd rather die. Then live under your leash, you know, like Marco says. Sure. Um, my question is: Is this active resistance, or is this surprises that Marco left? Because they talked about that throughout the episode. Like this could be a yeah. trap. This could be a trap. And it's 
a philanthropic trap, but it could also just be a trap trap, you know? Uh huh. Yeah. I, well, I don't know. That's a good question. But the challenge is like, even like at any rate, like from an earther perspective, it's like, can you stay on mission even though like, can, are you strong enough to take these hits and keep doing the right thing without going in and just, you know, doing the thing you want to do, which is fucking space all these assholes. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what the situation, it's either Marco and these people are blameless or it's a very small faction of people fucking shit up. But like what, you know, are you going to let these millions die because of the actions of a few? It's a real test, real test for uh, a, a, a strong nation, strong politicians. How, how are they going to do it? Um, and it's just so many great like details, like this one Marine who believes in it. And like the and he's like, you know, uh, trying to uh, probably on his own initiative, thanking, you know, uh, thanking Belters and wel- uh, and and welcoming them with a greeting in their own language. And the other guy making fun of him and then Monica busting him. You, you asked me what I thought about Monica's di- death. It felt like the whole station was going up. It also felt like they were telling me that this involved water because it felt like there's just shit tons of water spilling out of that dock. Mm. Um, so if they only had three weeks of supplies and then I'm seeing all the, the lifeblood of the station, uh, uh, how much more desperate that is that going to be? But yeah. I think Monica lives and she's like I said, she's going to do that embedded free radio thing that she's so good at. Mm hmm. To what end? I don't know. I guess generating mutual empathy throughout the belt and the inner system. I mean, Avasarella's ship is there. So. Which seems wild to me. And now that I'm thinking about where she is, she's why is she not way back behind the lines? Why is she not on Luna? Why is she out in the belt? She's leading from the front, man. That's crazy. She's a wartime wartime uh, secretary general i guess it is crazy but it also is like a statement you know kind of like nancy sure. gal like yeah hey you should go to the moon earth's under attack fuck that i'm staying here she died mm-hmm. i don't know it's one of those things where and i, I don't think she's actually on, is she on the station i don't think she's on the station i think she's on her ship near the station but that yeah. station that ship was definitely in harm's way Oh yeah. So I mean, Monica was on the ship in. and then on series, so she's got to yeah, be yeah, close yeah, yeah. by. Yeah. Uh, the Rasananti is then engaged in a three-on-one running battle towards the series station, and it's amazing. Like yeah. I said, it involves I shit you not a 180 no scope railgun shot from James Holden, demonstrating Bobby's tactical brilliance. I mean, it, I I hate to say which is my favorite space battle at this point because there's so much. There's the stealth ship mm-hmm. Rossi duel at the uh, proto molecule station. There's the uh, uh, drummer and and Rossi combined action last season. Um, using uh, torpedo as a, a invisibility cloak and then flying through it and tagging a ship as you spin pad. Yeah, it's that was pretty amazing. But this this is pretty like just from a sheer impressiveness to Rasananti t- punching way above its weight um, and taking av- advantage of the tactical inexperience of the Belters. Yeah. Uh, and just like, everything came together. I thought the effects was amazing. Uh, all the spin stuff and the harm it was doing to Amos and Peaches was great. And the music. Oh, my God. The music mm-hmm. is so it builds to such a crescendo when they managed to juke the Pella into those that those PDC rounds. It's just my hats off to them. It's so, so exciting. It is extremely exciting. Um, it, 
I, until we get to what I feel is like not a mistake. The show, the show is, is right on point here. I'm, I'm with it. I'm just not with Holden. I fundamentally disagree when he's got Marco in his sights dead in the water and he could take him out with a single torpedo and he disarms that torpedo um, as it right before it hits Marco. And my only window into this is the, the view screen where he sees Philip looking past Marco at his mother. And, and I assume Holden knows who that is at this point. Uh, he, but he can that's tell why he stayed. I know, man. I, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it's perfect. Um, I like I said, I fundamentally disagree. I think his other reasoning, um, Marco is more valuable as a prisoner than a martyr, is also true. But is he more valuable dead than he is alive and free? Because that that's that's the distinction here. Not I just think of everyone versus, versus uh, prisoner. All the times Marco's gotten away, like Marco was, you know, because drummer miscalculated in the politics and let him go then because Ashford had the drop on him, could have blown his brains out, but wanted, but, but felt it was more important to leak his plan out to whoever could hear it than sacrifice himself and gain that advantage. How many chances is this guy going to get? Like, to me... To me, the only plausible thing is because I, I did and, and I don't know, I've, I, I could be wrong about this, but I, I've read that like there was always plans to assassinate Hitler and a lot of the allies were ambivalent about them because it turns out Hitler is just a really shitty commander. Like he made terrible yeah. decisions. He was right. like fucking tripping on balls on speed all the time. Like he uh, was not a great leader and there was a lot of uh, thought that like he was doing more harm to mm-hmm. the German war effort at its head than he could do in the ground. Like, you know, someone more competent might take over and, and, and do a better job. But like, I don't think that's a call that Holden gets to make. Um, and, and like I with all if- the ways this guy slipped out and seeing it for, you know, like I said, just watching the season, the whole series, like really put that in relief to season four and season five. He likes, got a, he got improbable escapes like three four times like yeah. god damn again and, and i think if avasarala is in this position she makes the opposite call she kills him she sees him more of valuable course. dead than alive uh leading the fleet even though yes he's not a great he's he's not a brilliant mind um he did something rash he did something so unexpected that no one could possibly see it and prevent him from doing it but he's failing as a leader um in my estimation after the fact so yeah, keeping him at the head of this free navy probably makes a certain amount of sense, but cutting the head off this beast, scoring that that morale victory, that PR victory, um especially it's 10 after times he just what series abandoned, is. it abandoned series yeah. and then he immediately is killed by his arch nemesis and a 3 on 1 right? fight that he lost. Yeah. Yeah, like Delta's respect a lot of things, but that kind of tripping over your own dick and punching yourself in the balls going through a door <laughs> is not one of them. And you got to think, right? Maybe, you know, maybe there are some still hardliners of Medina Station to have and like, hey, maybe we can make a go of it. But like, it really looks like he got lucky. He got Earth when yeah. and with a sucker punch. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they got their eyes cleared from that, they just went and handled business. Like, I'm. It left such it's because I was so fucking 
amped. And then when 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 Bobby was like, fuck it, <laughs> we've heard enough and lost uh-huh. a missile. I was like sitting there like. It's three episodes, right? There's three more episodes to go. This war's over and everyone goes. That's what it's wild. And like it felt I hope this isn't. I hope this isn't just them extending the series because it felt like it to me. It felt like I don't think Holden makes this decision. If he does, he's selfish. And you're right. Like Naomi, to her credit, did not want to say anything about Philip. She saw him there. It uh-huh. was going to hurt her worse than anything. But she was saying, take the shot. We will not get another chance because she knows yeah. what this guy is capable of. For sure. Um, yeah, I, it, it feels yeah. wrong to have Holden make that call for her. I agree. Um, and that's why, like, it, it. I don't even just disagree with Holden from a tactical perspective. I disagree with him from a personal perspective. From a yeah, from like being, morally, yeah, being Naomi's partner. It's yeah, it's wild, man. It's the first time I felt like this, really, like fundamentally about Holden. This is a mistake. And I felt like, I mean, I definitely disagreed with him earlier in the series, but like, I felt like one of the things is he's become a much more pragmatic, you know, he hasn't lost Mm -hmm. his soul or anything and he always tries to do the right thing, but he is much more pragmatic than he used to be. Um, cause he's seen like the ways of the paladin, like that can get all fucked too. Um, Uh I hope there's another explanation. I hope there's another explanation because it's, it, it did immediately after I was so amped, like, Oh God, that like, and it's I, I almost like is there is there a little bit of like coding in the writers because uh, it reminded me of Amos saying oh that that after that bitter aftertaste comes out of nowhere right and that's how I felt like I just eaten a delicious mm-hmm. space battle meal and then oh it's coming back up what because of Holden <laughs> yeah Damn. I think we're supposed to disagree with him here um, yeah and and that worked that was effective uh, and then. Also surprising, Marco survives this experience and decides to cut bait rather than fish. He yeah. he fucks off because um, I think he knows. Dude, the look. I I will say like, the, <laughs> you know, I disagree with Holden's decision here, but the look that these two guys are giving each other through the view screens is intense. Like there is. Oh yeah. It, I fully believe that that look is what backed Marco down. Like Marco saw. He couldn't beat this guy. He can't he can't beat this guy with 10 ships, let alone the two that he's got remaining and the one that's limping. I wonder if Holden is literally in his head now. Kind of like it seems like like he's he's like, this is so improbable, this victory. And, you know, like what else does the like does Marco have the humility to think, oh, my God, what else do I not know about space combat? You know, I've only won battles with overwhelming odds with, right. with sudden betrayals and things like that. Like, my God, I can't, you know, even if I have this fantastic advantage, am I going to be able to press it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it I think it does in the next scene. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But like it's it starts to I do think Holden's in his head and that might be a huge advantage. But still, geez, you know, what's a really huge advantage. Killing the motherfucker. Yeah. And his son and his flagship. <laughs> yeah. And. The other two escorts, because you probably mop them up, too, you know, like if you want, like, Jesus. Anyway. And, and killing whatever plan is in motion, right? The Marco keeps his plans in his head. They're always changing. Like, there isn't That's really the a plan thing. for the free Navy. Yeah. So you kill him. Like, all whatever. the information runs through him. Like, yeah. he's probably so much stuff is compartmentalized. Yeah. How many does he is, you know, who knows where all the caches are, but him. Like, right. you know, like it. Yeah. I assume Rosenfeld <sighs> might, but I'm not sure of that. 
I'm very curious about how because the thing is I also thought they might leave it on my first watch that well they might like a bad like Holden did something but maybe you know there there's there's an alter but like they made it explicit that like he disabled the warhead um yeah yeah they put it on so, screen and writing yeah um I even thought like well maybe maybe he's like did that on purpose so like Marco will rejoin his fleet and they detonate it then but like, I don't think Marco's gonna leave that torpedo stuck up his, you know, tailpipe. No. Like, first thing you do is remove the torpedo, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, th- that was the other part of this scene um, that we didn't talk about is that that's the job, Peaches. That that part of the scene with Amos and Peaches having to get up out of their crash couches during high speed maneuvering and massive thrust. Amos can barely stand up and he's got to go outside and fix these PDCs or maybe inside. I'm not sure. It's it. But even then, like we've seen, like, um, you know, there's a scene of like one of the power saws floating in mid space during one of the, and I'm like, yeah, the scene with Prax where it's like, it was like a house of horrors and Uh Amos is holding on with one mag glove and just being thrown around (laughs) like a rag doll. Like, I, I gotta say, there is something like this beats the hell out of Scotty just screaming, hey, I'm gonna give it all she got. Like, seeing these right. guys ragdoll and bounce around, there's like real drama. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like a war, you know, like a like a total war in, in a way that I've never seen on a sci fi show before. Yeah. It, it, does that uh, explain? Is every uh, mechanic on a ship, on a warship, built like Amos? Are they all just these stocky fucking brutes who can. Lift yeah, six like, times their weight because they have to be to stand up it, in the G's. It, it feels like Mars would do well to outfit some of their engineers with the Goliath suits, right? Yeah. For one, you can just form a it's emergency structural support. Like if your ship's sure. about to tear in half, just hold it stick all. Stick an engineer in there, and you brace it, and boom, you're good to go. Uh huh. But, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think I, man, I, uh, the Expanse Below Deck series would be a hell of a lot more interesting than probably whatever they're doing on the the Trek style one. Yeah, I like that show. On the next scene, Margot rages and fumes aboard the Pella, turning his ire on his crew, his allies, his son, everyone but himself. And Phillips had enough. Mm-hmm. Says, you failed. That was your pride. Uh, pride fucking with you. It, I, I want to say he's lost him for good this time, but who knows? You have another sit down with him. Maybe you get him back on board for one last hurrah. I, it, it's tough to say. Also, like you could argue that this is Philip becoming the man his father needs. He's not afraid of his father. He's giving clear eyed, 100 percent sober analysis of him the way that Phil, uh, Marco seemed to appreciate from Rosenfeld the other episode. Like I could see Marco because like he's raging and he's going into a narcissistic cave to lick his wounds. But then he gets a shot of narcissist supply, like, oh, one of your plans has succeeded and uh, you've got mm. some good news. I could see him coming out and be magnanimous and being like, Philip, you finally become the man and you've told me some hard truths. And it's all bullshit and manipulation, but like right. making him think that, hey, you're right and I'm wrong and we're, we got to retake series and we got these new warships. And it was my plan all along. Right. If you only had of the plan. And, and, and yeah, there's there's the slap where if you only had faith in me just a minute longer, son, you would have seen it. <laughs> uh, right. How can he keep can he keep getting away with it, folks? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He's, he's got a pretty big uh, tool to use here on his side with his RSR G6. I'm talking about that. Yeah, next scene, Marco retires to his ready room, defeated when he gets some good news from Adina Station. 
and you're right the rsrg6 i that's a weird name because it doesn't tell us anything like it's not like a protomolecule class light picket or so it's just what the hell does rsrg6 i don't know it looks like a giant books, penis maybe giant penis is all i can a penis can collider think. yeah a uh, super penis it, okay hmm. i was underwhelmed I saw the protomolecule battle cruiser Laconia is working on. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. This, and 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 this ship is this series is known for its cool looking ships. Like mm-hmm. I and they're, they're very distinctive. Like Earth ships look very different from Mars ships, but they all look cool. And you got the Belter ships, and this thing comes out. And it just yeah, kind of looks like a ra- little bit of a bigger Razorback with a little bit of a wasp waist, but it's very plain Jane. It does not look very organic. And, and and twisted like some of the other protomolecule tech does. It, it's it's hard to tell in the lighting of the ring gate too because everything's kind of purpley glow. But I was a little unimpressed by the ship design. It's very plain Jane. Yeah, I mean, it just makes me wonder like, what are the capabilities of this ship? If it looks, does it look a certain way because it needs to? Is it a function and form sort of thing? Like like maybe a Death Star, right? You've got a big dish looking uh cut out because that's where all the turbo lasers congregate um it, is there some element of function to its form or is this just what they decided to make it look like uh and and what how is it enhanced you know clearly yeah. they're making it out to be a protomolecule enhanced ship i think anyway um what does that mean? Does that mean they've created some amazing hull plating that makes it almost indestructible? Like, like you see Amos marveling at Mars technology, right? In this episode with Bobby's talking suit, about that, yeah. talking about, oh yeah, patching it with resins is making it weaker because this shit's so good to start with, and it's built out of Mars bones, honey bun, honey buns. <laughs> uh huh. Um, but but are they doing that to set up how frail and and fragile? even the best of their military technology is with the inners. Now that protomolecule stuff is on the board. Seems like, cause like they do, they do do that foreshadowing really, really well. Um, or, or is it a weapon? Um, is it the weapons on it that make it so powerful? Can it, can it, you know, remake a or ship speed. Can, or, or speed? Maybe you can just, yeah, I you mean, can just effortlessly travel. Whatever's kind of like the Eero station. There's so many things that it could be. I, I do wonder if like you're supposed to understand that the Laconians are keeping the best shit for themselves because hmm. we see this protomolecule spaceship and it's not what they're building in orbit of their homeworld. Not even close. Uh, it's not. Yeah, not even close. So it's like, yeah, like, you know, have this uh, micro machine while we keep the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think because uh, that's the other I know that is out there like, you know, what happens at the end of season six and, and the, you know, soul system sorted. And then that fucker comes through the ringer gate. Mm-hmm. Like, why would they even do that? There's not going to be seven, eight, nine. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I that's the thing. The like, Laconia thing is a, such a huge question mark because I can see why they have to do it because it obviously seems vital to this year's plot. But it's also clearly supposed to be so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're doing a strange dog stuff. It's. I don't know. Maybe this is uh maybe this is a uh, op on us all, and uh, it's so Bezos can can at the last second uh, authorize uh, season seven, eight, nine, whenever everybody loses their mind at the end of this one. But yeah, man, it's a big question mark. The Laconian stuff, big question mark. Apparently, they have 
if I if I listened correctly to the dialogue for which I didn't have subtitles, this will be the fifth one of these that they have. Yeah, I like I said, I I said I I heard. I mean, clearly there's multiple because they said if this performs like the mm-hmm. others, I thought they said it will be fun. You said it'll be five. It's very belter, very thick accent. It's hard yeah. to tell. We don't have subtitles on these screeners. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 curious to see what these things are all about. Uh, I wonder. Is this from the book, like Marco getting uh, reinforced with Laconian technology? I think so. It's been a while. I don't remember, man. This I, is I your mildly the... interesting. I think I so. Think so? I, yeah. yeah. Like, ah, how can how can I spoil anything? I don't know. <laughs> right. How um, can I when I don't remember? Uh, all right. Well, that's the end of the episode. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, I'm good. Well, we will uh, be back next week with episode four. Of course, we're taking another two week break from feedback uh, because this is another series that we've recorded in advance so we can get through the Christmas holiday break. Um, And we will be back before episode five with another season, season six, episode three and four roundup episode. If you want to get your thoughts, your theories or speculation in, please send that into expanse at baldmove.com and we will consider it two weeks from now. Uh, thanks for listening to our show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Again, we'll be back next week. These episodes drop date and time, uh, which usually means late uh, Thursday evening. Because um, I think I just saw that they're, they 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 officially released these at midnight GMT, which is like seven o'clock Eastern time. So they're, they're dropping the fairly. Hmm. Yeah, they're dropping fairly. So so that that's where you can expect them as soon as, soon as they come out. We'll have the podcast ready. And uh, we'll see you next week for episode four. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.